This is a Lip Media Podcast. Content discussed on this podcast may be triggering for some individuals. So if you feel like today you can't quite handle it, that's totally fine. You can press pause and come back another day. Remember, we're always going to be here. And if you need immediate help, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the pod. If you don't mind, as per usual, it is me, Madeline Cherrington, here as your host. Um, Thanks so much for joining me today. We have, of course, a new episode. Don't ask me which one we are up to in the season. I think it's like... I don't know. I need to keep track of these things, but it's a new one. That's the most important thing. Um, on today's episode, I got to speak to the lovely Fiona. Um, Fiona is currently studying event management. Um, she is, she lives in uh, Sydney at the moment and obviously uh, has been spending a lot of time at home due to the pandemic, like all of us. Um But Fiona was really honest and open about her experiences with uh, getting a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, um, what that's meant for her and and how that's impacted her her treatment and recovery. Um, We also spoke about her experiences with with alcohol and how that relationship has not always been a very uh, healthy one and what she's done to kind of move on from that. Um, but yeah, overall, it was such a such a uh, blast to talk to Fiona. She's very articulate um, and gives some really great insight into what it's like to to go through treatment for borderline personality disorder. She she says something really interesting um, halfway through the interview, and that is about how she kind of felt like she was at school again and she was learning all these things that that she just didn't know about, that she wasn't aware about in terms of uh, emotions and how to regulate those things. And, yeah, it's very cool to hear and listen to. Um, guys, as per usual, this is a trigger warning for you all. We do discuss issues surrounding alcohol use and borderline personality disorder as well as suicidal ideation. So if that's something you're not really in the um, mind frame to listen to today, that's totally fine. Come back when you're ready. Um, but yeah, this is Fiona. I hope you enjoy it. I'll see you guys right after. Well, Fiona, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I'm Thanks for fi- having me. <laughs> I'm very excited to chat to you. I'm actually currently in my mother and father's walk-in cupboard. Because I'm sta- I, <laughs> staying I with them. I thought about moment. going into the cupboard. Honestly, I did. <laughs> I mean, well, I am staying with them this week, and I thought this is actually a really good place to record. It's yeah. got really good acoustics. Um, so I uh, got my first guest in the cupboard. <laughs> so <laughs> like welcome, Harry Potter. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I actually at my my actual house have like a cupboard on the stairs, but it has so much crap in it. I just don't have the. I don't have the spoons to clean that out, so. Yeah, I, I too have um, a little cupboard under there too, and I just, I prefer not to open it. <laughs> <laughs> too many spiders. There could be spiders yes, exactly. in there. I don't want to know about it. No, me either. 
Um, well, I would like to ask as what I you know what I usually ask, and that is, could you like tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, that kind of thing would be amazing. Yep. Um, so. I currently am a student awesome. um, studying a diploma in event management online. Yes. Um, and, yeah, apart from that, I don't do a whole lot else because of this whole COVID situation. Mm. But, um, yeah, Made I'm things difficult. Just, it has, yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely been um, interesting. But, yeah, I'm. it's my birthday next week and I'm the big 3 Wow. So... That's definitely um, weighing heavy on my mind <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> I'm kind of like, oh, gotta gotta sort myself out a little bit. Mm. It sounds scary. I'm turning 28 next year, so I'm kind of like a, I'm approaching it. Yeah. Um, and I do have a few feelings about it. Um, yeah. All of them not positive. <laughs> no. No. And I've kind of I've just wanted to see if I could just you know, skip this year because it hasn't really been like a, a normal year. Oh, yeah. So you could just say I you're just still 29. Stay? Yeah. I mean, I still get asked for ID and things like that, so I'm sure I can get away with it. That's. I think that's perfectly fine. I yeah. support you on that decision to <laughs> stay 29 for another year. Thank you. Who will know? Who exactly. will know? Exactly. No one will notice. No one. <laughs> <laughs> How have you been finding everything with the pandemic? At first I thought that it wouldn't really affect me that much because um, I'm not working at the moment mm-hmm. and I don't, you know, I don't have a big social life anyway. I just have, you know, a few close friends that I see occasionally. So mm. I thought this will be fine. And then I kind of realised after a few months, I'm like, this is actually really scary. Yeah. Um, I think more so for me thinking about going back into the workforce soon, mm. like how can I kind of... Um, you know, figure out where I'm going to put myself and finding a job I think is going to be hard because there's so many people unemployed at the moment. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit it's, tricky. It's tricky. It's I don't know about you as well. I found, obviously, we're on. We're, we're going to be talking about mental health issues today, but um, I thought it's. I think it's quite interesting how, for the first time, people who haven't experienced those those um, those difficulties are um, exactly. And yeah, I think it's. Definitely. I think it's opening up a a conversation that has needed to be had for quite some time, and that is around how isolation affects your mental well being. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. It's just it's an it's an incredibly powerful thing, isn't it? It is, and I yeah, like you say, I don't think um, people who haven't had much experience with mental illness before this, mm. yeah, they can maybe relate a little bit to us. Now. Yeah, and I think so. It's you know a bit scary for them as well. So oh yeah, it is. It's kind of opening up more conversations about you know checking on people and you know having those conversations to see if people are okay. Mm. And I think the first time you have those feelings um, of kind of, you know, feeling overwhelmingly sad and isolated, it's, it's scary. It's very scary, but I, I I think, I think overall it's going to kind of, yeah, open up that, that conversation and hopefully people will be more empathetic moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to think so. Um, I mean, there are definitely people that don't have 
you know, that haven't experienced it and they don't have any understanding of it. Um, but I guess if it is coming out more, then maybe people can kind of... And, you know, and that, that stigma with it of even just talking about it. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, it might, it might be a good thing for us to kind of band together yes. in a way. Yes, I 100% agree. Agreed. I feel like we can't really have a discussion without talk- talking about COVID these days. So. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get that out of the way. Yeah. Um, you're, you're on the show uh, today to talk about your own experiences and um, you've highlighted to me that you really want to kind of talk about uh, finding out or basically getting a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder and what that's been like for you. Um, could you take us through that kind of that journey to get to that that diagnosis? What kind of happened leading up to that? Um, yeah, so I kind of, I mean, from early teen years, I had started to experience depression and anxiety, but I didn't really know what it was. Mm. Um, and... I eventually told my mum about it and I think when I was about 15 she took me to the doctor and they said yeah you know um you're experiencing some mental health problems and Mm. they gave me medication and um a referral for a psychologist and at that point I just I was really young I didn't really Mm. I thought if I could take this medication then you know I should be fine yeah and um and I did take it for a few years and then I just, I think I just stopped taking it and um, kind of thought, oh, you know, I'm okay now. And I think I got to maybe 2021 20, and um, started to have these, you know, um, symptoms again of, of depression and kind of feeling like I couldn't really figure out what was wrong with me. Mm. I, I ended up um, getting really heavy, heavily into... Um, exercising and um changing my diet and things like that and I lost a lot of weight and um and I didn't really have any issues up until um I got into a um an emotionally abusive relationship yeah and um and I think because of all that turmoil in that relationship it kind of I think well I just um wanted to see if I could go and see a psychologist and see um, what, what I can do about it, basically. I didn't yeah. really – I wasn't interested in taking medication again, but I wanted to – I obviously had these issues that I needed to kind of talk through. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was with that psychologist for a few years and she helped me get out of that um, relationship. and wow. um, So that was really helpful um, at that point. And so I think around about 25 was when I had um, my first kind of, I guess you could say like a nervous breakdown. Yes. And I I had no idea what was going on. I just knew it like I just could not get myself to work. I couldn't get out of bed. Wow. And I didn't know what to do. I was living on my own at the time. I was paying rent and, mm. you know, I was just stressed so much that um, – yeah, I ended up having to take time off work and move back to my parents' place to kind of recoup and um, look after myself and wow. just kind of see what's going on. And it was a really interesting time. Um, it was I, – I ended up going and seeing a naturopath at the time and 
he did some emotional work with me then and that kind of geared me up again and I was I was ready to go back to work and so that was about I think two or three months um of downtime and yeah so I went back to work and then I was having panic attacks a lot I remember mm-hmm. um and like no matter what I did I just I couldn't it was like every day that I was having these panic attacks and um yeah I just didn't know what to do so um I yeah after I cut that kind of settled for me it was not so bad up until I think maybe another year or so mm. things were fine and um and I think it was around 26 or 27 when I started getting really bad um, PMS. Okay, wow. Yeah, and I had never, like I've always been, you know, it's pretty normal to get emotional. Oh, yeah, everybody you. does. Yeah, so, but it was getting to the point where I was suicidal um, right before my period. And... And you'd never was, had that before? No, never. Like, wow. I've never I've never been suicidal before that. Mm. And I had, you know, I had no idea what to think about it. So I kind of just went to the doctor and he said, well, there is this condition called um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that kind of fits of what I'm experiencing because as soon as my period finished, it went away. You'd be fine. And I was fine. Yeah. Um, but... That led me to go and see a psychiatrist um, at that time. And then when I went to see him, he he kind of sat me down and he said, he went through all these kind of questions and he was just ticking off these questions and yeah. I didn't think anything of it. But after he'd asked me all these questions, he goes, well, I think you, you have a lot of the symptoms of borderline personality disorder. And at that point I hadn't. I'd heard of it before, but I had no idea what it was. Yes, okay. And um, and that was around the same time I was kind of drinking a little bit too much and, you know, using that as something to make me feel better. Mm, like a coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And um, I didn't really have any other coping skills at the time. So he kind of – so he put that, that – diagnosis onto me but he didn't really kind of give me anything for it he said basically you can do this um therapy called dbt yes and he said but you're gonna need private health insurance and i said well i'm not working at the moment (laughs) because my life is falling apart and um you know that was it was about 80 dollars a week or something for yeah. private health insurance. And he's like, oh, you can pay two and a half grand and go and go to the private hospital and do it there as well. And I'm like, well, I don't have that either. So, um, <laughs> Great options. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, mm. So um, he did that. That was when he gave me Effexor. And um, I, yeah, that was three years ago. And so I started taking that. I think I started on like the lowest dose and kind of mm. crept up a bit. And I went and saw him a few other times in between that. And he was nice enough, you know, he didn't charge me because he knew that I wasn't financially capable of paying at, for anything at the time. Mm. Um, 
so I will go and see him a few times and just sort of explain where I'm at. And I was having a lot of nightmares and a lot of panic attacks and all this was going on. It was just like a whirlwind of of symptoms. Jesus. And um That's intense. It was really, yeah, it was really intense. And I kind of, I didn't know what to do, but he said, he said to me, well, I'll, I'm going to up your medication, but you need to stop drinking. And he's like, if you, if you um, don't stop drinking, the medicine won't do anything. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, I'll try. But, you know, it was, it was really hard for me to give up. Yeah. And that was when I kind of thought maybe I do have a problem with it because when I tried to stop, it was really hard. And I would kind of, you know, stop for a little while and then go back to drinking because it was my only coping skill. So um, he then gave me something to help me sleep, which um, it's actually an antipsychotic medication called Seroquel. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And um, that just blew my socks off, actually. (laughs) Like, I, I was like a zombie, and really? it was only a very small dose that he said, you just take it before bed and it will help you sleep. And it did, but it was like, oh, I can't wake up now because I'm just sleeping for like 12 hours. Wow. So I didn't often take it unless I really couldn't sleep. But, um, um, yeah, then I went back to see him again and, you know, it said I'm having all these panic attacks. I just can't stop it. And he goes, well, okay, I'll give you a prescription for Valium. And he said, but don't get addicted to it. Because <laughs> Thank it's highly you. addictive. I that's was like, helpful. okay, I'll do my best. Oh, my God, that's <laughs> terrible. I'm so sorry he yeah, said that so to you. He, he kind of, he wasn't really giving me a whole lot of therapy time. He would, I was only ever in there for about 10 or 15 minutes. And it was for him to basically just write me a new prescription and then send me on my way. Right. And so, and during this time, had you had you started to do, is it DBT therapy? Um, no, I hadn't because there isn't a lot of um, programs available to people. Um, like the public health system, the wait list to do a DBT program is six to 12 months. Are you serious? Yeah. So, um, so you're basically getting all this medication from this man, but he's not really actually treating. No. The, the this diagnosis that he's given you. No. Yeah. He basically just said, "Here's these things, but you need to stop drinking, and also don't get addicted to the Valium." Great. And I was like, "All right." <laughs> so he gave me. It was just for like a one month script, and um, mm. you know, I I didn't get addicted to it or anything. Um, but that kind of didn't really, you know, I didn't really do anything mm. in, in terms of like long-term treatment. So I said, well, there's no point in me taking it because it's, you know, if it is going to get addic- addictive, then it's just a risk that I'm going to rather not take. Fair. Um, yeah. So in, in terms of treatment, I kind of, I went back to my old psychologist, um, for a little while. And that, and, you know, it did help, but I think when I came back to her with this new diagnosis, she didn't have the experience in DBT. Mm. So we could only really go with, like, the 
standard like CBT. Um, and yeah, it was a good, like it was a good, um, outlet to go and speak and, you know, get some advice and things like that. But yeah, in terms of kind of getting anywhere long-term, it wasn't really doing much Mm. and my drinking was just getting worse. And were you, during this period of time, obviously, like you would have gone home and Googled what borderline is. Yeah. What, yeah like, so what definitely. was that what was that doing to you kind of n- n- trying to obviously find out what it was all about and how that impacted you was it was it kind of quite confronting? It was, yeah, because when I went home and googled it, it had a really bad reputation and um a lot of stigma around it. Mm. And I was like, "Oh, I don't know if I want this." Like I don't know if I want to identify as this, you know, having this disorder. Yeah. Because it was really, you know, people had written things like they're impossible to, to treat and mm. things like that. And I just, yeah, I kind of, I was like, oh, this is scary. But, like, the more I looked into it, the more I was like, yeah, this actually makes so much sense to me. Mm. And yeah. I feel like I've had this my entire life and I just didn't know. Wow. So it's also kind of freeing in a way. It was, yeah, because everything made sense and it was like there's these little, um, I guess, answers to all these questions that I've had for for 27 years and I didn't, you know, I had no idea until now because it was basically like, well, you have, you know, this personality disorder and it's like you, you you don't have the same coping skills that everyone else is given. It's kind of like your brain's wired differently Mm. and and so when I did eventually start seeing a psychologist for DBT and going through those um learning those skills Mm. um it was like I felt like I was a little kid really yeah and not in the way that like it was demeaning it was just like I don't know how I didn't know how to cope with things like, wow it's like having those like little aha moments yeah it was like oh this actually makes so much sense to me but it's like I've just it's like I missed three years in school or something of like how to learn how to be me or wow. how to learn how to you know just deal with the instability in my life and mm. all the ups and downs and things like that so it was it's it was very interesting um to learn those little things it's like it's yeah it's it's crazy that's so interesting because i feel like i mean yeah i i I personally haven't had that experience before but that would have been so empowering to be able to kind of take hold and understand exactly how you think and why you feel certain ways and just having that context would be so empowering exactly yeah it was because you know even when i didn't originally um go home and google it just looking at that criteria and thinking like Mm. yeah tick 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 like it's all there and even just something as seemed like it to me or to maybe other people it's like seemingly insignificant but it has um you know in these descriptions it's like this feeling of emptiness Mm. and I remember when that psychiatrist said to me do you feel empty and I was like, 
yeah, I do. Hmm. But I'd never, I'd never really made that connection. Yeah, like what does that mean? Or like yeah. what's that a symptom of, I guess? Exactly. And, um, and I guess it kind of ties in with that, you know, that very – the um, – identity you just like you don't feel like you know who you are yeah and there's like lack of sense of self it's just um yeah it's I don't know it's it's hard to explain but it kind of everything was kind of falling into place and going okay well that makes sense and you know I'm kind of like that because of that reason Mm. and that thing but um also, it was like, well, now I've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Like, you find that you get the diagnosis and you're, like, sick. And yeah. then you're like, wait, hang on. Now I've got to do some stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, no. This is, um, yeah. Because I have um, a really close friend who has borderline as well. Yeah. And she's done um, all of the DBT work with her counsellor. Wow. So when we have conversations about it, it's so it's you know and even just the way that she is from years ago before she had this diagnosis and and did the dbt work two different people like really yeah and it's it, it's amazing to me because i've watched her grow up like i've known her for such a long time and to see the um how much she went through to get to where she is now yeah it's it's amazing and i think um, you know, she's definitely someone that I look up to and want to keep, you know, that makes me want to keep going because I can see that it's working on people. Like, you just got to do the work. Yes, yes. It's all about, I know, it's so much easier said than done, right? Like, just do the work. But, like, yeah. it's true. It's, oh, like, 100% it true. Um, Otherwise, you just, yeah, you yeah. get nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And so I guess when you started to kind of do this this work, so do the the DBT, um, was this also around the time that you kind of started to, to seek treatment for, um, like, obviously your your issues with alcohol and, and, and obviously drinking too much? Yep. Um, so initially, no. Well, initially I got this diagnosis and then um, about a year later I attempted a suicide. Mm. And... Um, um, after all of that, you know, uh, kind of happened and I realised, you know, this alcohol is causing, you know, it's like this vicious cycle of yeah. I'm using it to calm myself down to make me feel happier. But in turn, it's making me more depressed. It's making me more anxious. So the more more bad I felt, the more I drank. And it just spiralled and spiralled and... And then I kind of got to this point where my parents basically said, we think you need to get help. Yeah. Um, we'd like you to go to rehab. And Wow. What was that? Was, what was your reaction to that? Were you just like... I didn't fight it. Yeah. Okay. I think because I, I was so desperate at the time to get out of what I was in. Mm. I think I'd created this very lonely, isolating kind of existence where I didn't see people very often and I, you know, I just stayed on my lounge and I drank and I watched TV and that was basically it. Wow. And it was really scary and it was, you know, I didn't want that to be my life anymore. Mm. And when my parents kind of said, look, can you just go and get some help? Um, 
yeah, I think I was like, yeah, I think I really need to. Mm. Um, <clears throat> That's so great of them for like, like seeing that and getting you to do that. Like, yeah, that's amazing. Exactly. And, um, because my, my mum has her own, um, problems with drinking. She's, but she's in AA and it's working really well for her. So we kind of have this relationship where we understand each other. Mm. We both understand how hard it is to stop drinking in the first place. Um, and yeah, it's, um, even though, you know, I, I did try AA a couple of times and it just wasn't really working for me. Mm. Um, and I knew that there were other ways that I could kind of combat this issue. And um, rehab was an experience, I would say <laughs> that. <laughs> it was interesting. It was, um, yeah. And I don't, I don't know, sometimes when I talk about it with people, it's, I can kind of make it seem like it was all hell, but it wasn't all hell. Um, it was just, it's not a traditional type of rehab that I went to. It was a long-term treatment plan mm-hmm. um, from about nine to 12 months. Wow. It's very this, long. Yeah. Where you, you live in this place and then you kind of go through um, le- different levels and things like that. Um, but I ended up leaving after two and a half months. Mm-hmm because I just didn't feel like it was for me. A lot of, or I would say about 95% of them were all from jail. Yep. Um, so it was a different kind of dynamic where these people weren't necessarily all going there because they wanted to get help. They were kind of getting, or trying to get out of jail, basically. Mm, yeah. So it kind of, it was a bit of a toxic environment because there was a lot of drama going on. Yeah. And at that point, I ended up becoming suicidal again while I was in rehab. And I just thought, this is not working. No. There was barely any therapy. Um, it was, yeah, it was it was different. You know, it wasn't all bad, but um, it definitely, I learned a lot about myself. And kind of when I left, I learned a lot more because I kind of, I didn't come back to the same life hmm. that I was living before. Um, and, you know, I'd kind of, I'd tarnished a lot of relationships with family and friends and kind of having to, I had to give people time to want to be around me again. So I had to, yeah, it was very, um, very interesting. Yeah. That sounds so challenging to have to kind of like want to make amends and rebuild those relationships, but kind of have to give people the space and the time to want to do that. Yeah, exactly. And I think at first I didn't really understand because I thought, well, I didn't do any of this to to anyone else. I was doing it to myself. Yes, yes. But what I didn't realise was because people cared about me, it was hurting them. Mm. And, you know, my actions, they came with consequences and I had to learn to respect that people didn't necessarily want to be in my life anymore. Mm. Um, or in the same way that they did. And, you know, I, I just kind of, I had to accept that. And and I did. And, you know, I'm, I'm okay with it now. But it, it was very, it was hard at the time. Oh, of course. It sounds so difficult. But I'm also, like, very impressed that you kind of, like, were able to give people that space and recognise that that's what you needed to do. Because I think it would be 
very easy to just be like, okay, well, doesn't matter then. Like, they should, yeah. they should be accepting me no matter what. Like, I feel yeah. like that's very emotionally mature of you to be like, you know what, I'm going to give people the time. Yeah. They'll come to me when they're ready. Like, that I feel is actually, like, like a, a kind of a, a, a symbol of being actually really emotionally mature. So, like, well done. Thank you. I think it's so cool. I don't think, like, I mean, initially I don't think I took it very well. Um, but, yeah, after things are kind of explained to me a little bit, I kind of realised that, yeah, you know, I did have, you know, I'm, I had even, you know, just with, not just with drinking but with my mental health and, um, you know, attempting suicide, that really hurt my family. Yeah. And I, I didn't realise that, I was hurting them at that time because I was just hurting so much. So I think that was, um, yeah, it was kind of, I had to kind of put myself in their shoes and Mm. basically like if, if that were, you know, someone that I cared about, it would be hard to go through. And I think, um, yeah, taking, giving them that time to, you know, kind of get over it in their own way. And show them as well, you know, that I can be better than that and I am happy now and I want a life and I want, you know, those relationships back. Mm. I think it's, I think with any kind of um, mental illness or mental health condition, you feel, you feel like everything is kind of just affecting you because you, you are in it so deeply and it's, you're experiencing that illness or that condition and because it's so intense like it's very hard to kind of see or feel um, the way in which other people are feeling or reacting reacting to it. It's very very hard to do that, um, and I think that's like I think that's the thing I struggle with the most is like looking back and being like, did I was I selfish or yeah. did I not pay attention enough for? But it's so hard when you're in that moment because all you can feel is that pain. Yeah, exactly. It's so visceral. Yeah, it? it is. And I think because, um, you know, not everyone in my family have have mental health problems. Mm. So even just on that basis alone, understanding how I was feeling, it, there wasn't, it wasn't much of that. And I can't, I can't discredit someone for not understanding something they've never experienced. But at the same time, um, you know, I guess a bit of empathy for people who are experiencing those things. But, you know, like you say, you, you don't realise that you're hurting people while you're in it because you're, you're so in it. And there's just nothing else really going on for you except for that mm. at the time. Yes. I, yeah, 100% agree with everything you just said. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Well, I don't want to wait a, uh, run out of time, so I've just got a few more questions I want to make sure I ask you. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess... How are you finding now your relationship with alcohol? Are you able to have a drink or two without it getting to that point, or do you feel like like kind of um, remaining sober has been the thing you need to do? Um, so yeah, at the moment I'm kind of at this in between phase of figuring that out, like mm. whether I need to just put down the alcohol and never touch it again, or can I? Um, control it mediate it in some way yeah and you know i've done a lot of um experimenting (laughs) 
And, yeah, I mean, ultimately I know that my relationship with alcohol, um, for the most part, it's not healthy, but um, there was a big change from when I started um, weaning off my medication to now. Yes. And Which I'll ask you about after this, but I'm very yes. interested to hear about that. So, yeah, so it's kind of been really interesting to to see how that actually affected it mm. and um, and to where I am now. So, yeah, I can, you know, I can just have a couple of drinks. And when, when I was drinking really heavily, mm. I was drinking every single day, all day, all night wow. until I passed out. Okay. And, um, you know, that's not what I do now. Mm-hmm. And I don't have the desire to do that. Whereas before it was, I just wanted to escape. I didn't want to exist, so mm. I just drank until I fell asleep because that was less painful than being awake. And now I don't feel like that. So yeah. now you want to be awake. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, um, yeah, like life can be hard, but it's like it's it's worth it for me to to go through those things and not just numb myself with alcohol anymore. Yeah, and I think it's really cool where we've come in terms of looking at this from a public health aspect uh, uh, lens in the sense that we no longer um, rely 100% on just a person abstaining. Like we can do harm minimization, we can do harm reduction, we can – often it's it's an issue of like not the alcohol itself, it's, um, you know, the reason behind it. Exactly. And I think it's really cool when you kind of get to that reason and you start to treat that reason, you can – you can actually, I mean, not everybody, um, but some people can actually learn to drink in moderation. Um, yeah. It's just about treating that cause, I guess, is the most important thing. Yeah, exactly. And that was something that I I kind of realised that my drinking was a symptom of a bigger problem. Yes, and very apt I, way of putting it, yeah. And I needed to address those, those issues, basically. Um, and, you know, not all of them have been addressed. It's going to take a long time to kind of go through therapy and that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, you know, it's just – it's slow and steady, I guess. Oh, 100%. That is – I feel like that should be the tagline for every mental health treatment and, like, just slow. Like, yeah. I think the thing is because it's not like you're treating – a, like a, a, a bacterial infection with a, a round of antibiotics and in seven days you're fine. Like, because you're not just treating like an illness, you're, you're treating, you know, trauma and beha- learnt behaviours and all these things that have happened to you. Exactly. And you're looking at how you can kind of move on from them. So it's never going to be like a quick fix. And if... I feel like if anyone is to say to you, oh, yeah, I just got over this thing in, like, a few months, like, they probably haven't because yeah. it's not how it works. Yeah, um, definitely not. But, yeah, I just – I think it's 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 really cool that we can, you know, we can identify that it needs to be slow. It needs to be a process that is well thought out, reflective, and, like, you're going to have bumps. Like, you know, the, the kind of really popular saying at the moment is that recovery uh, recovery is not linear – um, exactly, and yeah. you're going to go up, down, backwards, forwards in a circle. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, what I'm saying is it's complicated. It is. It's very complicated. Very complicated. Um, and I guess just to, to circle back to that comment you made about going off any depressants, before we started recording, we, we were chatting about you titrating off your current antidepressant. Um, 
What's that been like for you? Has it been has it been difficult? Um, yeah, it's been really hard. And this is the first time that I've tried to come off a medication before. Mm. I can't remember what my first experience was like when I was, this was probably 12 years ago, mm. um, when I was coming off Zoloft. It, it didn't have this same effect on me. Yeah. But this time around with Effexor, it's been really interesting and really crappy at the same time. <laughs> um but initially, so I was on a quite a high dose. Um, so my doctor just, you know, recommended to kind of um, one day have the full dose and then the next day you kind of just take a bit off and whatever. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So that process itself is, um, you know, I'm having, I'm definitely sleeping a lot more, I'm having nightmares again. I'm, um, I was getting like, like physical body aches and felt like I was getting the flu all the time and um yeah and then like now that it's been about three or four months since I started um and now I'm getting all the really emotional side of it right but my the biggest interesting thing is for me is the difference with my drinking um before I started to wean I was drinking, I was really trying to control it to the point where I wasn't touching it at all. Yes. But then I would have these episodes where I would get into a mood and then it was like, bingo, I'm going to drink. Yeah. And I would drink um, until I would lose days, basically. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't remember. I'd just have these benders and I couldn't, I'd wait like, it was like a Sunday night and then I'd wake up and oh, it's Wednesday. Wow. Okay. And I have no memory of what happened. I'd wake up and, you know, I fell into my furniture and broke it and just really, yeah, (laughs) really, um, really dangerous drinking. Yeah. So not like Um, the kind of all day, everyday stuff like previously. No, benders. But benders. Okay. And then, yeah. And then having these withdrawal symptoms as well, um, when I kind of came out of this bender and, I'd have the shakes, I couldn't sleep, and, like, it was just horrible. And since I started weaning off this medication, that has not happened once. I haven't had the desire to do it. I haven't drank nearly as much as that and had a bender. I haven't lost a day. I haven't broken furniture, (laughs) you know. Um, It's been, in my mind, it's a lot more peaceful when I'm not obsessing about alcohol all the time. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I did a little Google search about it and there are actually a lot of people that have had the same experience with this particular medication. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was quite interesting to to kind of have that experience and I'm glad that I'm, you know, coming off this medication because mm. it's it's done more for me than I thought that it would. Yes. If you know what I mean? Yes. Like, I kind of, I was stuck to it for such a long time because it was a fast release kind of medication so if I would miss it even by like an hour or something I was having withdrawal symptoms yeah I've heard about that one yeah yeah. so it's it's nice like not to kind of be in that much turmoil oh 100% (laughs) like that's the thing I think obviously medication is so important to so many people yeah Um, absolutely I just wish there was, <laughs> I guess I, I think a lot of us wish there was more clear um, kind of information regarding 
you know, what symptoms your your experience, what withdrawal is like, and it's I think because they don't know like so much about it, it's obviously very hard for that information to kind of uh, you know be available to us. Yeah. But I think it's really important to always share to show the, the the whole picture, and that is there are so many benefits, but there's also some things that can kind of happen that you need to exactly. be aware of, and it's all about communication. Like, that's right. That's not saying like obviously. Yes, a withdrawal, a bad withdrawal could happen. That's not a reason to not take a, the medication. Yeah. But I think it's being aware that that's a, that's something that can happen. Having yep. a plan in place to deal with that is so important. Exactly. Um, and you know, if you've got a good GP, like I've, I um, I'll announce to my listeners that I'm starting to uh, look at withdrawing, withdrawing, um, titrating off my antidepressant and. I've got such a good doctor because she's like got me a plan and we're going to do it slowly because I've had this, yeah, I've had this medication in my body for like five years. It should be chill. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, they're not, I think again with antidepressants is like because they're so common, I think people think of them as a very like chill medicine. And safe and. Yeah. Like, oh, it's fine. But it's not chill. Like it's a legit medication you take in. It's nothing. Yeah. It's not a pan at all. So exactly. Let's act and like, like it. you say, you've you know, you've been. It's been in your system for five years, and with my effects or it's been in my body for three years. Like there's, it's going to happen. There's going to be yeah. some side effects, and it's not going to be all roses. So yeah, let's so let's talk about it. Let's put a plan exactly. in place. Let's you know, and also make sure people know that if they don't successfully get off it, that's okay. Like you can tr- keep trying. Yeah. Um. It's not and, a failure. And don't just stop taking it. <laughs> no, please don't. Just, I Number feel like one, that's advice. Yes. yes. Don't do it. Don't no. do it. Um, Fiona, we're basically out of time. I just, I guess, wanted to ask you that that final question I ask everybody else. And to anyone out there, I guess, who has uh, just received that uh, diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. Um, what is some kind of advice that you would give them some, yeah, sage advice in terms of how, you know, to, to navigate that and, uh, how to, to reach out for help? Um, yeah, don't Google it. (laughs) If you do take it with a grain of salt because, um, it, yeah, it's, it is one of these conditions or, or disorders that they're still learning about. Mm. So yeah don't don't take everything you read as gospel and i think it's important to try and get yourself into therapy of some kind because without those skills it's like we we weren't born with these skills so without learning them and learning how to do them properly um we won't be able to to feel better in ourselves so Mm. i think that's really important as well um is to yeah get some therapy i know that you know there's a lot of resources out there but if you make some phone calls especially through the public system if you don't have money or you you aren't you know don't have private health insurance you can have these conversations with um the community mental health services and they can um direct you to people that can help you awesome i love that i feel like the (laughs) the first part you said though is the most important take it with a grain of salt yeah such good advice thank you <laughs> okay well fiona thank you so much for being on the show it's been a pleasure to talk to you um yes thank yeah. you for having me thank you so much see you later see you later bye 
Hello, hello. I hope you enjoyed that episode. As I said, Fiona was super insightful and great to talk to. And I think, especially when it comes to to borderline personality disorder, um, a disorder that has so much stigma attached to it, um, it's it's so important to hear these stories. I mean, just like obviously listening listening to Fiona and her, her saying to look up borderline personality disorder and to see that it had, you know, um, and to see that the information attached to it was, was telling her that she could never get treatment and the people wouldn't treat her. Like that is absolutely terrifying. I mean, it's hard enough to get good treatment when we're, um, you know, experiencing kind of those more common conditions like depression and anxiety, but for something that is, you know, so heavily, um, stigmatized, even in the mental health community, that would be incredibly hard. So well done Fiona for telling your story and, and, um, and just being so brave. So guys, if you want to contact me, you can do that in a lot of different ways. Here they are. You can send me an email at if you don't mind podcast at gmail.com. You can tell me what you want to hear, uh, make some suggestions, you can let me know if you want to be on the show because I'm always looking for new people to, to have a chat with. Um, in terms of social media, you, you can go to Facebook and type in If You Don't Mind. You will find me there. Um, Instagram is If You Don't Mind Podcast. So if you want to interact there, please do. Um, and we do have a Patreon. So you can join and become a patron for as little as $2 a month. It's nothing. It's half a coffee a month. As usual, guys, please be kind to yourselves. Be kind to one another. Um, and when you have a chance to listen to someone's story, please do, because it, it really is life-changing. Uh, stay safe. Bye.